0: Welcome to The Political Nomad. I am your host, Josh Gillespie. I have known my next guest for almost 10 years. We first ran into each other when he was managing a congressional campaign against my boss at the time, who happened to be the incumbent. He also worked on the main floor of the same building I worked in. Since then, we've shared a few beers, exchanged some war stories, and he and his family traveled the entire world last year. Now he's here to tell his story. Please welcome Jim Brown. Josh I am so happy to be here i you know I'm excited that you are on this we We got together for coffee a couple weeks ago i I just wanted to hear your story you know I've you've been written about in the local paper you I follow you on instagram yeah I follow you on Twitter, you have you know catalogued your entire past year traveling the world and my immediate thought was, "How has something like this affected someone? you know how is it how has it changed your view of the world how has it I, and and I want to get into that because for those who have heard the first show, and it was just an introductory show, it was just me. I was just talking about where I've been, how I came about my current where I am politically and you know I've heard your story about where how you have come almost to the same place politically but we came through different uh, different ways so that's again kind of what this podcast is about is is about how, why are we where we are uh, and uh, you know hopefully into the future as we look into larger subjects um, and and tackling specific issues but right now we need the foundation of who we are we are political nomads right That's right. You know,
1: it's funny, Josh, because you're right. I I have cataloged the entire uh, last year of our, our journey around the world. But it's funny because also I've cataloged all of my political views since I got on Twitter in 2007. And so, like, I've downloaded all of my old tweets and I've gone back and looked at them from the 2008 race, the 2012 presidential election, 2016. And so I've seen my journey in tweets, I will say I'm embarrassed by some of the things I saw back in 2008. Uh, but yeah, it, not just that journey around the world; it's literally my entire political evolution. Uh, that journey has been documented as well. It's kind of crazy.
0: It is kind of crazy to think about. I, I I'm almost wary of going back through my old tweets. You know, not that I have anything that is you know so salacious, but yeah, you just look at the views and you're like, oh, yeah. So, but before we get into that, I want to, you know, when we first talked a couple weeks ago, you had a very interesting story about about kind of how you were brought up, the the, the your 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 family surroundings, and you were opposite, you know, of of your father. Tell me a little bit about what formed your initial political leanings. Yeah, it, you know. It, th-
1: I grew up in Southern Indiana, Columbus uh, to be specific. And uh, you know, I didn't have a good childhood. I wanna be very clear as I say that though, Uh, when I say I grew up poor, I did grow up poor, but I grew up poor in Columbus, Indiana, which uh, I'm very aware of what that means, right? It's a different level uh, of poor, Um, but nonetheless, how I was raised, you know, my family, literally my family, my own family members, immediate family told me that I would never amount to anything. I would never be anything because the Brown family was nothing. Um, and I just couldn't accept that. I, and I truly don't know what it was. Uh, uh I just couldn't accept it. It wasn't going to be my reality. And so for me to escape that, I felt like I had to be the exact opposite of my dad. Uh, My dad was very much a a hands-on, he was a a builder of things. He worked in, he was a union um, concrete worker. He was a union laborer, union carpenter. He just built things, right? He was a man's man. Um, He also, from a political uh, spectrum, was a Democrat, because that's what uh, the the union kind of uh, uh, leans into. And I just, I wanted to be the exact opposite of my dad in every capacity. Anything he said to do, I wanted to do the opposite. So, I'm not a person who uses my hands. I am not handy at all. Uh, I got into computers and, and information technology and software and all that at a very young age, building websites and whatnot, and have been very fortunate that that's been my career, especially as uh, that, that world, that tech scene has exploded right? in, in my adult mm-hmm. life. So that was great, but politically as well. right? I had no idea what politics meant back when I was eight, nine years old. I just knew I didn't want to be anything like my dad and he was a Democrat. Mm -hmm. So what am I? I'm a Republican. No clue, again, what that meant. But as I'm going through my formative years and, you know, I ended up joining the military, the Marine Corps, and, you know, looking at all that. Indiana, as you know, is a very red uh, state. So it kind of just felt natural and got into business, which had some economic leanings, some fiscal meanings that also identified with the Republicans. I'm like, so yeah, I'm a Republican. Um, But that's Mm -hmm. how I started out my life uh, as a Republican
0: that's that's pretty incredible i mean to you know because i was i was raised republican i mean it's yeah it's kind of the way that i look at it. i was raised to be a republican and it's just kind of interesting again how in many ways many people's stories can parallel but in in that how they track how they end up in the same place but they but they but they actually I guess they aren't parallel with how they get to the same place you know eventually they do get to the same place so you've covered how you no- notice the change you know so what other issues you know or I should say what were the issues or what did you observe over the time from your most ardent republican days and i assume that's probably when you were you were working on campaigns you were probably actively involved in the party you said you were, you know, you were actively tweeting, um, likely supporting the party. as, as I was. But yeah. what was it that led you to no longer consider yourself a Republican? What, what, and when did you start seeing that change?
1: Yeah, it, it's a great question, and the reality is, um, it wasn't overnight. It was very much uh, like weight loss, right? You don't see the change happening right in front of you because it's just so, so slow and so gradual. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll start by saying this I, uh, I've been eligible Or able to vote in five Presidential elections, okay mm-hmm. I have never voted for the winner You gotta I think voted... about that for a second So, so and, and I'll go through it, right But, and here's what's yeah. crazy I, I identified, I have, I have identified As a Republican Through all of the elections Except for 2016 2016 I would adamantly say I was not a Republican okay. Still felt Kind of conservative but was 100% not Republican. So in 2000, I voted for Gore. 2004, I voted for Kerry. 2008, I voted for McCain. 2012, I voted for Romney. And 2016, I voted for Hillary. And I'll be fair, I am not a Hillary supporter. I also do not consider myself a Democrat, but that was an anti-Trump vote. I was, I'm, I, that was just that, not that. So yeah, five elections, never voted for the winner. So
0: if I may, Explain yeah. your Gore and carry votes, yeah. if you can. I mean, I, that takes yeah. it back a little bit, ways. Especially, I mean, it, when you say that you didn't identify as yeah. a Democrat, especially with your parents or your, your dad, because I'm it's, guessing he probably did vote for. Her. The
1: only one that uh, was hard for me was that that Gore vote, right? Mm-hmm. And look uh anybody listening to this or, or or watching this may say gosh this guy's an idiot and that's totally fine right i'm completely comfortable with mm-hmm. my own skin but when i look at 2000 i believe we were coming off of such a great economy through the clinton years that i just wanted to continue the policies that were leading to this great economy as i was entering adulthood right again right or wrong so it was maybe, a fiscal vote it was completely a fiscal vote right like the 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 world was booming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this was pre dot com bust. It hadn't happened mm-hmm. yet. It was coming, right? Um, but that was it. I just wanted to continue uh, those policies. Uh, is all that was, and uh, it was ironic for me. I was in Marine Corps boot camp during that election, so I got to vote absentee. And I remember sitting down uh, in our squad bay uh, that night, and we were all asking the drill instructors, like, "So who's the president?" And they're like, "We don't know." And we all thought they were just messing with us, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like no, 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 but really, who's the president? Like, yeah, we really don't know. And we only got newspapers on Sundays, Josh. So we had to wait until Sunday oh, wow. to learn that we really still didn't know who the president was. And I graduated Marine Corps boot camp December 1st, 2000, and we still didn't know who the president was. He had not yet gone to the Supreme Court, right, at that point. Mm-hmm. So very ironic uh, that that happened. But, yeah, so that was the the vote there. 2004 uh, I was I I had just gotten out of the Marine Corps everybody listening probably knows there was a pretty big war that was happening uh, during that time and I was a Marine and I was a Marine on September 11th and I was a Marine when we declared war I was a Marine when George Bush declared mission accomplished I was a Marine during this entire time stationed in Washington DC right next to the Pentagon so not that far away from the attacks of 9-11 that happened. Yeah. And as we attacked Iraq, I, I started, you know, and not just me, but a lot of Marines were like, wait a minute, Iraq, what, what did they have to do with this? They, they didn't, That we, they weren't responsible for September 11." Mm-hmm. and John Kerry, uh, again, right or wrong, like, uh, whatever. He said a line that encapsulated all of my thoughts, wrong war, wrong place, wrong wrong time and I just couldn't get behind George Bush's war uh, he was wrong and I think we have since uh, seen a lot of data to back that up that the war with Iraq was wrong shouldn't have happened right so that was my vote for Kerry <laughs> 2008 my vote for McCain I was not a McCain supporter by any stretch of the imagination, but he wasn't Barack Obama leading us into the social revol- the Socialist Revolution. He wasn't bringing socialism to the United States, which that's BS too. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I voted for McCain. It was kind of like a holding my nose. I just didn't want Barack Obama to be president. 2012, uh, I actually got behind Romney. I was a Romney supporter, right? Like I thought, wow, here's this businessman who has really done some stuff. Uh, as governor, he implemented or he, he tried to uh, propose some policies right that I really liked. Um, and so I thought, yeah, this this guy finally is like speaking to me, uh, especially where I was in my life from a business perspective. This guy's really speaking to me. But at that point, 2012, I had started to, to make the shift to be more centrist for sure, uh, not liberal, but more centrist. And then by 2016, it had completely unraveled. You asked what kind of triggered all of that for me. I think sharing how I got to some of my votes um, that starts to to play out. But I remember, you know, again, because I was a Marine, I went there right after high school. I didn't go to college until let's see, it was 2000, 2007 to 2010. I went to school full time at night while running a business that had five employees full time during the day. So like I was wow. I was committed, right? But I, I did a double major in journalism and political science. Okay, and I'm I, I'm at the peak of my uh, red-blooded conservative Republican, you know, Sean Hannity watching Fox News, like you know, Rush Limbaugh, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And we would sit in class. I had a I had an amazing political science professor that year, sophomore year and we would just get into debates and just battles in class right and again it's a college campus so i'm surrounded by all these liberal students right that have never experienced the world and here i am i've spent four years in the marine corps and oh by the way i'm running a business full-time got five employees that i'm paying more than what all these kids are making but we would just get into these battles and one day she called me to the side and kept me after class and said jim you are very intelligent. You know your talking points. You know your positions, and you know them well. Uh, and and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to debate with you in class. She said, "But if you ever want to beat me in a debate, you need to know my positions better than I do, right?" And I'm an arrogant. I'm an arrogant kid still, in my opinion. At this point, this was what, 2008, so I was 26, very arrogant. I'm like, challenge accepted. Let's go, right? And so I started digging into the Democratic Party's you know, national campaign, like, what do they care about? What's, their, what, what's their, their, their mood, right? I started digging into all the liberal positions and really starting to understand it, where they came from, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as I'm doing that, Josh, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, well, hold on, wait a minute. Now that I'm reading this, I actually I, – I, I understand that. Yeah, I can get behind that. We're not as far apart on this as I thought we were, right? Mm-hmm. And I kept going a little bit further. I was like, "Well, wait a minute. I agree with that too. And wait, but you believe that way? I thought this, and it just really started to mess with my head. Right now, again, still identified absolutely as a Republican. Um, yeah, look, uh, uh, 2010 is when we met. That's when I was mm-hmm. running the campaign for Bros McVeigh against your former boss. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I my, all of my friends now, most of my friends were Republicans. Uh, ran in all the you know GOP clubs and all that. Went to the
0: the Lincoln you were blood and, red. I, I was, remember that.
1: I had cufflinks that were this is the elephant, right? Like it was crazy, man. Uh we supported Mitch Daniels to run for president, which by the way, he should have. Gosh, come on, Mitch. That's, um right? and, and so again, I would 100% have voted for him. But uh yeah, that was really where when the 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 thread started being pulled from the fabric for me.
0: That's that's interesting. And and I think that you hit on some of the issues that that I just briefly touched in, in my very first podcast about the the concept that, you know, Rep- liberals, Democrats, they actually have some good ideas. Not everything is terrible. Yeah. And, it, and it makes sense. Now, the Republicans, they have good ideas, too. But both sides have horrible ideas. But there has to be uh, a happy medium that you can set aside party. But it's as if the parties today, driven by outlets like Fox News, Continue to push the us versus them narrative, and that, and that's and I know that era that you're talking about because I remember paying attention to Fox News. I by that time I wasn't listening to as much Rush or Hannity because uh, I, I just wasn't all that into talk radio. But I knew the talking points. You know, I pushed the talking points, and. I remember not being excited about McCain either but you know it's like well Palin sure seems like she's got a swell head on her shoulders oh boy oh
1: boy as we oh, are man. recording this conversation Josh right? last night on dancing with the bear or what I mean what that show the Masked singer <laughs> yeah yeah Sarah Palin was singing back that ass up as what? as a bear oh my gosh yeah absolutely
0: oh my gosh So that's what she's up to these days. Good to know. Good to know that she, if she had won, she would have been a hair's breadth away from potentially being president. Oh, my gosh. What was I thinking in 08? Anyway, well, that – okay, so that is really interesting how that has kind of worked on you, worked on your mind that when you start looking at these issues from the perspective of how we treat each other, how we treat our fellow man that – Yes, there are certain aspects of – and I'll, I'll use air quotes – conservatism that could benefit our fellow man. I mean, there are. But there are aspects of, of, the, of, of values handled by the Democrat Party or liberals that can also benefit our fellow man because sometimes just picking yourself by your bootstraps doesn't work.
1: Well, you're, you're spot on with that, and at the same time. I used to identify so much with that notion of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, um, because look, I told you I grew up poor, uh, free lunch, free books. Uh, my first car was a, a $900 Honda Accord. It was a piece of shit. It was two toned. It was gray and rust, right? <laughs> Muffler falling off, right? Like, and and but then you know, I, I busted my ass. I sacrificed most of my teenage years. I sacrificed my 20s. I sacrificed half of my 30s, uh, trying to create this concept of the american dream right having financial freedom and, and look i myself and my family have done very well for themselves meaning my my family that i created not my uh, my parents generation um and i used to be that person tell you yeah i did this i pulled myself up my bootstraps if i can do it anybody can do it and to be frank it's bullshit
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have benefited from the society around me. I have benefited from other businesses. I have benefited from the federal government and the things that they've put into place. Uh, you know, the, the roads that we pay for, right, to get our employees back and forth to work. Because, look, I'm still a business owner, right? I, okay. I still uh, – I, I pay more in taxes than a lot of people, right? Uh but when I look at what those taxes go toward, right? Like I want those things. I do want a strong defense. I do want, uh, like I said, roads to get my employees to work. I do want a strong public education system to to educate the employees that I'm gonna hire and all those kinds of stuff. What I also start to now want is healthcare for them. Why, why am I burned with healthcare as a business owner, right? Like I believe that should be something that we just take care of people. I also believe strongly that we would have a much stronger entrepreneurial culture if we had some level of universal health care, right? It's one of the biggest reasons why people go bankrupt in this country. But if we remove that risk and we allowed them to have a safety net under them with regards to to insurance, health insurance, because it's the biggest reason why most people stay in jobs, the mm-hmm. most reason why um, uh, retirees still go get a second job in their you know their re- retirement day so they can have health insurance. If we provided a safety net there what kind of explosion would we have in entrepreneurship because that risk is mitigated
0: I think it would be enormous so tell me like I said at the top of the show you've you spent the previous year traveling the world and in many of the places that you visited or briefly lived you saw some of these things playing out in in terms of, of, of healthcare or the entrepreneurship that you're talking about can you go into that a little bit and and, and, and tell me what you saw and, and, and how did that affect your perspective? Sure. So
1: I, I want to say, I mean, we don't have enough time to go into every country that I went to, uh, but
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> the, the notion of our trip is we wanted to live there. We did not want to visit. We did not want to be tourists. So we lived in 12 different countries for a full month each. Right. Mm-hmm. So we rented it one Airbnb in each place. We lived in a neighborhood. We walked to their grocery store because we didn't have transportation. Right. So we used public transportation. We walked mm-hmm. to their grocery stores. We walked to their pubs and restaurants, their parks, so my son could play, uh, you know, their, their coffee shops, all that kind of stuff. Like we lived in, a, in these countries. Right. So got to see and talk to all the people and really understand what's going on. And I saw a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, England was first. Okay. They, uh, they uh, have universal health care, whatever they call it, uh, national health care system, I think is what they call it. And, you know, Americans, we make fun of that. And we talk about, yeah, but you can't be seen for six months. I mean, it's just not true um, at all. Our uh, taxes probably higher to pay for that. Sure. But if we're going to pay high taxes anyway, which, by the way, we do pay high taxes. Uh, if we're going to pay high taxes, shouldn't we get benefit from that? That's just my thought. Shouldn't go to corporate welfare, but that's a whole other topic. Uh, the Netherlands <laughs> was the second country that we were in. There's no homelessness in the Netherlands. None. They don't. It doesn't. That. Doesn't exist. Right? They they put they put people up into places. Now, is that system abused? You're damn right. It's abused because once you're in it, you they can't kick you out. Right. So how much waste is there in housing? Well, again, I'm gonna keep going, keep going back to this it's not nearly as much as we waste in the in America on corporate welfare. Why is it okay that we spend all this money giving tax breaks to multi-billionaires, right? Or entity? anyway, I keep
0: going to that. Um, we it's went to you. Well, it's, it's a good topic and, and you know, maybe I have to have you on again just so we can talk about corporate welfare. <laughs> it's huge, right? If you, like, Cause look, I,
1: when I used to be, I used to say I'm fiscally conservative. Well, I used to be fiscally conservative and socially conservative. Then I switched from still fiscally conservative, but now I'm socially not liberal, but I'm more leaning liberal. And then I started to really dig into that. And we can get into that topic maybe as we wrap up here. But um, that, that, that social liberalness is, uh, in my opinion, you cannot be fiscally conservative and socially liberal. Those things cannot exist at the same time. Again, happy to talk about that. We went to Ukraine. We lived in Ukraine ironic. Maybe I was there uh, working on behalf of the president. I can't confirm nor deny that. Um, <laughs> went from there to to Italy. Uh, loved Italy, right? Uh, could not live there. Reason being, the, the pace of life is so slow. Uh, so slow. And Italians are lazy. They really are. There's not a lot of Interest in being more, but if you've been to Italy, it's amazing. I don't know that I would want to move that fast if I did live there anyway. Um, okay. went to uh, lived in Spain, and uh, here's what was interesting about Spain so, uh, we we lived in Barcelona, uh, Barcelona is how they say it. We we lived in Barcelona, um, and and they are currently trying to secede from the rest of Spain. Yeah, I had, I had no idea about this, so there, but they believe that they are Catalonians, not Spaniards. And uh, they said that we've always been Catalonians. We are not Spain, we were, we were taken over, and we are tired of being the economic center of the country. We do all the work, we provide all the money, and we send it all to Madrid so that the rest of the country can survive? No, thank you. They have their own flag, they have their own language. And so I'm, I'm seeing this, I'm like, oh my gosh, right? They still are Spaniards, right? And here's what I wanna say about that. They care about being Spaniards. They identify as Spaniards, okay? And so if you think about the corporatocracy, right, Walmart, you're not going to see a whole bunch of Walmarts in Spain. Why? Mm -hmm. Well, because, Josh, you you own a butcher shop. I'm going to your butcher shop. Am I going to pay more than I might at like a a Walmart? Sure. But I know you, Josh. And Mm -hmm. I'd much rather support you because we're Spaniards and we do support each other and we're willing to do that. And that was interesting to me that that true sense of of community, right? This is who we are. We're going to support each other. That's one of the things I feel like has really, truly been lost uh, in America, right? after nine eleven it started to come back a little bit. You know, everybody put their flags on their cars and whatnot and and we we, we started to rediscover what it meant to be Americans altogether. And then another economic boom happens and it's every man for himself everybody's pulling themselves by, uh, by their bootstraps again right let's go mm-hmm. right? instead of taking care of each other right mm-hmm. and look again people may be listening to this and be like oh this guy's a liberal shill now and whatever i, I don't care you can judge me however you like um, we went to uh, tanzania we lived in dar es Salaam, tanzania for a month and i will tell you it was one of the poorest countries we've been in yet they were the happiest people we experienced on our entire trip why mm-hmm because they had everything they needed in their community. They still ate local produce, right? Some of the best food we ate was there as well. The spices they have that come from Zanzibar, the Spice Island, the mm-hmm. avocados, the natural avocados that were like this big, the mangoes were incredible. Oh, wow! But they also just like sat together, like on the corner. They would just sit mm-hmm. there and talk and just be together, right? It was awesome.
0: They, they lived knew each life. other. They knew yeah, each they... other. They were in in each other's lives. That's right. That's right. Um, we went
1: from there to to Thailand. Um, my wife had a mountain biking accident in Thailand. Uh, she fell off the mountain bike, bruised her hand pretty bad, and post- you know she was fine. She said it didn't really hurt that bad, but the bruise was enormous. And she posted a picture on Facebook. And a lot we have a couple of friends who are doctors, and they mm-hmm. reached out to me personally or directly, as opposed to my wife, and they said, look this is what's wrong with your wife's hand and like gave me like the medical whatever. I didn't know what that meant, but she said, or they said, um, she's going to uh, tell you it doesn't hurt that bad. She's going to say this. She's going to say that it doesn't matter. She needs to go to the the emergency room. She needs to get an MRI, not an X-ray. She said the doctors are going to tell her that she just needs an X-ray. No, here's what's wrong. Again, went through all that. So finally talked her into it. She did go. Uh, she was there for about 90 minutes, closer, maybe closer to two hours. She did. They they made her do the X-ray, right? But then, because she pleaded, she got the MRI. And this is with a doctor, not a not a an aide, right? She's with a doctor that was the entire time. So, got the X-ray, got the MRI, uh, went through all of it. Uh, they told her, you know, what was wrong, et cetera. Gave her a prescription for um, a pain reliever, you know, all that kind of stuff. And throughout all this time by the way, we did have travel insurance. So this could mm-hmm. have been covered under insurance. However, we, we asked as we're checking out, okay, like what's the bill? What do we owe you? How do right. And, and I don't remember the exact number, but it, I'm, I'm really close. I'm I'm within 10%, right? It was like $19. And my wife, that is said, incredible. Well, but my, my wife didn't believe it. Right. She's like, well, hold on. Like, what do you mean? Like $19? Like I get the rest of the bill later. She's like, no, it's, it's $19. And again, she got an x-ray, she got an MRI, she was with a doctor for 90 minutes and then got a prescription. It's kind of blue, right, how? Well, these things, it, it's, it is more of a free market over, and I don't wanna go there, it's, it's not a free market. It's just, there are costs to things, right? And we know the costs, it's like they're published costs. This is what an MRI costs, this is what a uh, whatever costs, right? I think that's helpful. So that was huge. Um, we went from there to Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong has their issues right now with, uh, with China and China trying to take them back over from the England Treaty 20 years ago. Anyway, that was a mess. Um, we did spend some time in China. Uh, China is the only place where we were that I felt like we were foreigners. We truly felt you don't belong here. Wow. And and I'm not saying that in any kind of disparaging way. I will just say that the Chinese also have very much a nationalism kind of concept. You're either Chinese or you're not, and it's mm-hmm. it's obvious. We were not. Um, from there, we went to Japan, and Japan. We were in Tokyo. Tokyo is bigger than New York City, right? I yeah. I think I think it's double the size. I could be wrong from a population it's standpoint. Huge. That's all I know. It's Enormous. Massive. Right. But it was the calmest cleanest most orderly place we were on our entire trip our mind was blown and it's because there they actually care about the 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 respect of family the respect of elders right things that i used to hear the conservative republican party talk about Mm -hmm. right those wholesome family values that they don't give a shit about they just use it as a talking point it is meaningful in japan and still now are, are there drawbacks to that yeah the patriarchy there is still very much intact, right? Like women, are, there's no progressive movement around women getting equal pay or equal say or anything along those lines. My wife felt kind of out of place a few times. We then went to um, Australia. We were there during their election and they made a huge mistake of essentially electing the buffoon that is essentially Donald Trump for um, for Australia. It was ironic. His his billboards and his campaign was very much similar to Trump's to the point really? where they literally said, make Australia great again. Oh, my gosh. Nuts. And and as I talked to um, a lot of locals, because, again, I like politics, the the conversation yeah. of it, et cetera. And as I talked to locals there, they're like, this guy has no chance of winning. He's a buffoon, right? I looked at the betting odds because I'm also a gambler. I looked at the betting odds. His odds of winning were worse than Trump's in 2016. Really? Yeah. We know how two thousand sixteen so, ended and then obviously yeah. same thing happened in so, Australia.
0: If you were there for the elections, what did you see there that that brought him to victory?
1: It's the same populist movement that's going on all around the world right now. Um you know, Steve O'Bannon is kind of responsible for that. He's taking that populist movement uh multiple places and, and getting paid well for it. But look, hmm. I, I I do think that there is turmoil in the world right now, right? There's so much a uh, change happening so fast. Uh, industries are being completely turned on their head. People are losing their jobs. The rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. That income disparity is a real thing. Uh, all these things are happening and what we're losing is the conversation with the average person, mm-hmm. right? It's almost like we don't care about them. If you're average, we don't care about you. We're looking for all those polarized edges so that we can get you to move and and, and talk to you. Same thing was happening there, right? Like they're just—they were tired of essentially not being listened to. So finally, someone came out who kind of looked like them, talked like them, maybe said the things that they wish they could say out loud, right?
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: and those things resonated. They—they didn't want to be led by the elite anymore, right? They wanted to say in their own government. Um, And look, he's also uh, a climate denier, a, a science denier, and and things like that. And Australia just had. It's hottest year on earth and the whole country was on fire but anyway um so yeah You're not
0: kidding it was i mean i remember <laughs> seeing an overlay of australia uh, on, an, on a united states on a map of the united states with the outline of the fires yeah in australia and it was insane like and, the, and the, the concept of what if this was happening in the united states i mean we'd be freaking out because yeah the entire country would be on fire i mean the, the entire midwest section um, heading out actually east a bit, depending on where you placed Australia. But I mean, it was just it was crazy, and yet every year California is on fire, right? You know, but we don't talk about that because you balance the fire with the mudslides, you know. So they get some rain, That's but right. only 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 recently is is Australia finally started getting rain that has knocked out a good portion of the fires. But it's still burning down there, and Brazil was on fire. I mean. Well, the the Amazon. So not just Brazil, other parts of of South America were on fire, um, and like you said, you were there in Barcelona for seeing the unrest that was there. You were there before the unrest in Hong Kong. Yeah, the world itself yeah. is on fire, figuratively yeah. and literally.
1: We, we we wrapped up our so we also went to New Zealand, which by the way, if I could, if if not, if I had to, yeah, if I had to, but also I would just do it voluntarily. That's the place I would go live tomorrow. I would sell all of my possessions and pack our couple bags and move to New Zealand and just live there. It's just heavenly. um But we wrapped up the trip in Chile, so I was mm-hmm. also in Santiago, Chile before they had their riots. Oh
0: so my goodness, yeah,
1: it, it you know there's, it, it's nuts. I mean, so we truly have seen a lot. Um, of, of just how politics mix with the people uh, you know
0: around the world so
1: that is, that is crazy
0: so what would you say um, your transition back to the states has been like after experiencing all this seeing what the world has to offer but also truly seeing like from a community perspective from um, an environmental perspective what has the transition been like you coming back to the States?
1: Yeah, so there's so many layers to this uh, answer as well, right? So um, I will start by saying that the transition back to the United States has been one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through in my entire life. And that may sound completely absurd to a lot of people, but the reality is I've done it. And I'm telling you, it's hard. Um, I felt like I traveled the world and I didn't change. That's what I felt like. Um, I also at the same time felt like the world back here, right, home was continuing Mm -hmm. to progress. And I don't mean that in a progressive politics sense, right? Like, But they were continuing to move forward and evolve their thinking and grow,
0: right? Yeah, life was going on.
1: And I feel like both of those things were not true. They were mutually uh, not true. So I changed completely, but again, it's kind of like that weight loss thing. It happened over Mm -hmm. a period of time. I didn't see it. And then I came back and everyone's doing the exact same thing, right? Like even like, you know, obviously like friends at a a very micro level, friends in the same job complaining about the same thing, going to Walmart and buying the same things that are on sale. And I was like, holy crap, like, okay, it it didn't change. And, And I have changed. And now like I had a very good friend of mine send me a text message completely unsolicited while I was in, I think I was in Hong Kong. Pretty sure I was in Hong Kong. So it was February of last year. And it just said, you should never put a changed person into an unchanged environment. Again, completely unsolicited. We weren't even wow. texting at the time. And I'm like, whoa, this is deep. I was like, man, I'm going to have to walk around with that for a bit. And I did. And, 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 and I didn't say anything other than that. And then when we were in um, New Zealand, which was our second to last country, our second to last month before we came home, very much looking forward to getting home at that point. Um, He sent it to me again. Again, same message, completely unsolicited. He said, you should never put a changed person into an unchanged environment. And I said, gosh, Jason, uh, I haven't changed. I haven't changed. And I know that America, that home has changed. And boy, he knew something that I didn't uh, because it has completely changed. So what changed? This, This is still hard for me to say. And again, people listening to this may judge me. Look, I was a Marine. I've got broad shoulders. I've come from nothing. So you're not going to hurt me, right? Yeah. But I am so over this American exceptionalism bullshit, okay? We're the greatest country on earth. Well, we've got a lot of great qualities, but Mm -hmm. we're not the best at everything, right? Believe it or not, we're not the best. And until you've gone out and you've actually lived it and you've experienced something else, you can't really make that claim. Now, don't get me wrong. I love being an American. I was a Marine, right? Like, it, it's yeah. in me to have that patriotism, still love the flag, still love the country. It is a great place to live. And it's a great place to, to have upward mobility and to, to raise a family and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's not the best. It's not the best. Now, am I telling you there is one place out there that's better? No, I'm not. But I'm telling you that there are individual things in multiple different places that are done better than what we have here. And some may say, well, we, they, they, it's easy to do that in a country the size of whatever Sweden, but it would never work at scale in the United States. Great, okay, maybe you're right, but that doesn't mean that we can't work on something that could mm-hmm. be better, right? And I've just now right. seen so much stuff that I'm like, man, we, we, don't have to, we don't have to be doing it this way. Things don't have to be like they have been. Um and that's 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 the hard thing. Um and I still deal with it. It's it's a struggle.
0: You know, what I guess in that regard then. And you can maybe extrapolate this over what has happened over the last year or over the course of your journey. Life journey. But what has meant the most to you during your political journey or during this during this slow creep of weight loss as we can call it, you know. Um, when you look back on it, because like you said at the uh, you know near the beginning of the show that you know you had been able to look back at your all of your old tweets and you've seen how you have progressed from the time that you joined Twitter to now, and and I mean it's been cataloged. Your life has been cataloged for the last thirteen plus years. You know what stands out to you during those thirteen years? Do you think? Gosh, that's why a loaded question. I
1: just there's so much. Um, I, the reality is probably I'm going to, uh, and this isn't a cop-out, but I would say it's the, the ability to have an open mind. Mm -hmm. Right. I read a book recently. Um, i want to let everybody know I'm going to put this out there first. It's from a liberal. So if (laughs) you don't like liberalism, you don't like liberalism, (laughs) don't go read this book. But, uh, Look again I go back to that, that professor that I had in, in college and she said if you want to Beat me in a debate you should know my Positions better than I do well guess what you, We should be reading and understanding Both sides of the debate we shouldn't just Be identifying that I'm a republican and therefore I think all these Things like go test that Go understand what you really think about So it's, it's having an open mind so this book Was it's from Ezra Klein and it's Why we're polarized It's a phenomenal book About what actually going on right now, and it's just identity, right? People are wrapping up their personal identity in a political party, right? Mm -hmm. And they actually don't care about the party itself, right? They have an issue, right? Look, abortion, right? Pro-life, pro-choice. Well, right now, Republicans have attached themselves to pro-life, Democrats have attached themselves to pro-choice. So therefore, if you're pro-life, you have to be a Republican, right? That's the way the world's working right now. I don't agree with it, right? But it's that identity politics. But then, it's a challenge, and this was a challenge for me, and this is what still remains to be a challenge. If you start pulling those threads out of the fabric, and you start questioning the things that have made you who you are, you start questioning the principles that you've built your life on you start challenging the foundational elements that literally make you who you are mm-hmm. well what happens if you pull too many threads pretty
0: you thread lose... there at that point
1: well, do you lose your entire identity if you lose your in- entire identity who are you
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's scary josh and a lot of people myself included had have had a hard time getting there and you know look uh, i think mental health and, and, and mental um, uh, therapy, and whatnot, is a huge thing. I'm, I'm glad that here in Fishers, Indiana, where, where you and I both are, you know, our mayor is pushing mental health awareness as, as a big thing. And I'm, I'm extremely grateful mm-hmm. for it. I see a therapist. I want to raise my hand and say, Hey, I see a therapist because I've got some stuff that's messed up up there. But one of the things that I keep coming back to is this identity, right? Like I'm only 37 years old, but I've, I've lived a lot of life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have had a lot of careers. I've had some great successes in business. I've had a major failure. I lost over a million dollars, right? Like uh I've traveled the world. I was a pro wrestler. Like I mean I've done a lot in my in my We time. haven't even touched on the pro wrestling aspect <laughs> of this chip. <gym. laughs> like I said, maybe I'll maybe I'll come back for another one. But um right. you know, but but I, I think about all these things that made me who I was up to this point of being thirty seven, semi successful, great kid. Uh, that I love dearly, been able to show him the world. Like, but if I start to unpack all those things and th- that led me to where I am, who's Jim Brown? And that's just scary.
0: Now, I, I get that part. It's when you have that that self identity wrapped up in something. So um, it, it's not even. Um, it may sound a cliche. It's, it's not eternal. So I mean, it, it's something that can <laughs> just easily go away then it's like what are you doing that's gone and it's kind of what this show's about is 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 having that discussion because there is a way out there is a way to 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 more discovery and uh one thing that you brought up that i think is kind of what you're expounding on here but you brought this when we when we met a while ago is like you know, at 37, you've done what most people want to do at the end of their lives. And so it's like, what do you do now? And that can still resonate in this situation. Like you, you've lived a life, but all of a sudden, everything you've done up to this point, it's almost as if it means nothing. So what do you do now? And so I guess that kind of leads me to, so this, this question is like do you regret your political leanings at all um, your, your prior political leanings or has this made you what you've become
1: I feel like you're my therapist now I should take a seat on the couch <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know uh, I used to be the person Josh that would say look I don't regret anything because they did lead me those choices did lead me to where I am um, and there's still a big part of that for sure at the same time, though, I, gosh, I don't know. I, I really don't. You know, for the longest time.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's that weird. May not, that may not be a question that has an answer. It's just something that, you know, you kind of think about and dwell on over time. It's like, because, I mean, I was asked that same question uh, by a friend of mine uh, about a month or two ago, uh, because I'm working on another project that you're aware of. And he was asking me, um, he was asking me, he he's like, do I regret? being so politically involved and, and, Mm -hmm. and, and doing all those things in the past. Um, and I'm not sure that I gave him an answer at the time, but after thinking about it, my answer was no, I wasn't one because I didn't do anything nefarious. I didn't do anything unethical. So there was that aspect to, to me saying no, but also because those experiences did lead me to who I am today. They shaped me into, in, into that eventually directed me into a particular path, you know? And, and, that, and that is the path where I am now. And it's that, it's kind of like what, what your teacher said, you have to know what, you know, my side of the story if you're going to beat me. I know, well, I know that side of the story. I don't know her side as well, but I know my side of the story. And it's now learning the other side. And how can I make myself a better individual by learning more about what's outside of me?
1: I think you just nailed it. You nailed it there at the end, right? It's again, that comes back to that notion of just having an open mind, right? Like have conversations with people that you don't agree with, right? And instead of having a conversation where you're dying to respond to what they're saying, have that conversation where you're dying to listen and understand them, right? Get to know where that position actually came from. I remember conversations that I had. I've got a couple of friends, you know, flaming liberals, right? And we would talk in 2008 and 2009, 2010, and we had deep, meaningful conversations about their side of the world, and they asked me a ton of questions. And when they asked me those questions that I had to describe why I believe what I did, I had reasons, right? They weren't just talking points. I had reasons. Yeah. And they listened and they said, okay, well now I at least understand how you got to your, I disagree with you, but Mm -hmm. I understand how you got there and it makes sense. And I was like, Mm -hmm. great. You're you're willing to actually just care about me as a person. I think we should do the same thing on the other side, right? Like if you find, And, and look, I want to be very clear. I am an anti-Trump person. I very much hope that I finally, in 2020, vote for the winning president. Fingers crossed. By the way, <laughs> by the way, not a Biden supporter, okay? But he's not Donald Trump. Um, but even the Trump supporters, right, which mm-hmm. let, me, let me blow your mind, and maybe for some of the listeners too. My dad, blue-collar Democrat his entire life. Me, red-blooded Republican my entire life. 2016, I voted for Hillary Clinton. He voted for Donald Trump. Donald Trump is his guy I get it I understand why my dad Is a Trump Mm -hmm. supporter I get it And he and I have had long conversations I think he's wrong But I Mm -hmm. get it I understand where he's coming from And he's still my dad And I still love him And we do need that sense of community And that sense of of compassion uh, uh, And
0: love So, yeah Okay Well I feel like we're we're probably close to the end here, but I have to ask you, and and this will mean something to those who are actually watching this rather than listening. But you have this fantastic piece of artwork behind you that uh, I believe you said before we we came on air. This is something that you got while you were uh, overseas. Yep. So tell us a little bit about the picture behind you.
1: Yeah, so I got it in Zanzibar, uh, in in Tanzania, and uh, it just. The bright colors and and all of that, it just it pops to you, right? Um, it does. It's that's and that's very much Africa. Like th- these colors are very much representative of Africa. The women wear these clothes uh, with these colors. Uh, the men, you know, they're all with that. Um, and the animals, right? So we did get to go on a safari in the Serengeti, which was a completely life changing experience to see these creatures, uh, natural beasts in their environment. Uh, in their their home, their their, their natural habitat. Uh, we did a, um, I, I did videos uh, with my son to capture his memories as we traveled around the world. And I remember specifically the the uh, Tanzania uh, video. I asked him about the animals. He said, can you believe we are living in their home? It's their home. <laughs> um, because we did. So the, the Serengeti, a lot of people think about, it's just like, oh, it's a park and you go and you're in the Serengeti. No, yeah. the Serengeti is so uh, expansive that it takes so long to drive into the Serengeti to get to where the animals are that you have to then stay there. So we lived oh, in wow. a tent in oh, the man. middle of the Serengeti uh, to to go see these animals, and it just is such a, a life changing experience. So to I've seen all of these animals in their natural habitat, and so this painting just really, really stood out to me. So uh, not only do we buy it there, but we also, it, we took it off the the uh, the frame, not the frame, the um, canvas stretcher bars, whatever, rolled it up and carried it around the world with us uh, for the wow. next six months uh, to get it home. But I couldn't wait <clears throat> to get it here, and now it's on my office
0: wall, and uh, it's a piece I'll cherish forever. Yeah, for those who can't see it, it is this gorgeous picture of a, a rainbow lion. I mean, it is all the colors of the rainbow uh, and he takes up the, the, the most of the picture, but on either side, you have an elephant and a zebra vibrant colors, the eyes, especially in the zebra really stands out. and the elephant ca- grabs your attention. It's a gorgeous picture. It's been hard not to look at it while looking at you. It's a good thing you're standing in front of it, but it, it's a gorgeous picture. I think you're right. It's a, it's a gorgeous representation of, of life. In Africa, especially in, in the Serengeti, I want to put you on the spot real quick. I didn't send you this ahead Uh-oh. of time. You know that music is very important to me, and I I feel like you cannot go on a road trip without a good playlist. So, if you had, and I and and I love the quote that you gave me when we when we met for coffee a couple weeks ago, when you said, "I'm a Nickelback fan. I don't know about music." Uh, That's what I, I was about I, to say to you, but go I ahead. I know, it's like, I, I treasure that. I treasure that quote. If you had a playlist, it could be all Nickelback songs for all I care, but if you had a playlist that, I don't know if it necessarily symbolizes your journey, but if, like, if you look back on the last year or the last 10 years, however, like, you know, what is a song or two that would, do you think would characterize
1: that that trip? So, uh, Africa by Toto. For sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, seriously. It's personally come to mind. And then this is may sound crazy, but uh, Bon Jovi, it's my life. I can right? see that. Yeah. He says, yeah. it's my life. It's now or never. And that's kind of been the, the mantra of this year, 2020 for me. Um, sure. Cause look, it, I, 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 can't, I go back to it. That transition back to the United States remains hard. Okay. Mm-hmm. But in working with my therapist and talking with lots of different friends and whatnot, I'm entering, and this is, someone else gave me this, Not this wasn't coined by myself. I'm entering phase two of my life, or act two, if you will, of my life.
0: Sure. Like
1: and, and that's okay. Yeah. Right. And so it is my life. I've done a lot. I don't have to play by the rules of the American society anymore. I, I can opt out. I can do what I want. And sure. uh, that's kind of what I'm really leaning into this year. So those would be a couple of the songs for sure. That's and fantastic. then fill it up
0: with the rest of Nickelback. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, this is going to be a thing that I try to make as part of the, uh, the show every week is that there's going to be an associating playlist with each episode. And so you give me two great songs, and I'll fill the rest with some Nickelback. <laughs> there we go. And that will go out in the newsletter. Again, sign up for the newsletter, joshgillespie.com. I want to thank my guest, Jim Brown. Uh, Jim, this has been just an absolute treat. I thank you so much for being a part of this and for being one of my very first guests. I think your journey and and some of the things you have said have really, uh, you you hit on a lot of the key points that I brought up in my, my introductory episode and I think that those are the points that mean a lot to people going forward. And so it's good to hear your side of your journey because like I said before, Every person's journey is different, and we need to hear these perspectives on, on those journeys and why we are, where we are, and how we can get better going forward. So, thank you very much, Jim.
1: Oh, pleasure's all mine, Josh. Thank you. I think the only regret I have is we weren't sharing Yinglings
0: while we uh, right? we're talking. So <laughs> next time, next time when when I have you know two mics, you know we'll have to do this actually face to face with some beers. Absolutely. All right. Well, this has been The Political Nomad with Josh Gillespie. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you again next week.